It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird. With Election Day for the Virginia governor's race fast approaching, a recent Fox News poll has Democrat Terry McAuliffe holding a slight lead over Republican Glenn Youngkin. The gap has been tightening after weeks of back and forth on several key issues, including critical race theory, education, that continues to be a hot button issue in school board meetings across Virginia. Meanwhile, Democrats are calling in the big guns there following visits from Stacey Abrams and Dr. Joe Biden. President Obama is expected to campaign for McAuliffe later this week. President Biden is likely to follow. For more on this and more, we'll bring in our panel. Former State Department spokesperson, senior advisor to the Scowcroft Center at the Atlantic Council, Morgan Ortegas. National political correspondent for NPR, Mara Liason, and the founding editor at Washington Free Beacon, AEI resident fellow Matthew Connetti. Um, you know, on this day, October 18th, 2021, America also suffering this great loss of General Colin Powell, former Secretary of State, former Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, former National Security Advisor, dying at the age of 84 from complications related to COVID-19. Uh, Mara, he was a figure that just well known around Washington. And uh, you look back at his career, it's pretty significant. Really significant. First African-American chairman of the Joint Chiefs, first African-American secretary of state. He really was a giant and his career wasn't without some blemishes. He famously told the UN based on intelligence that he had at the time uh, that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, turned out not to be true. But uh, he was a really a larger than life figure, and uh, he served Democratic and Republican presidents. Later in life, moved away from the Democratic. Uh, I'm sorry. Later in life, moved away from the Republican Party. But uh, he was a, a towering figure, talked about as a future president. He decided not to run. Yeah, many times talked yes. about that. Uh, his wife Alma kind of convincing him not to do that, in part because she was worried about possible attacks or assassinations. So. Um, she uh, also came down with COVID, we're told, from the family and uh, is doing fine. Uh, but complications regarding uh, COVID and his fight with multiple myeloma, uh, Morgan, uh, took his life. The significant figure in national security. Yeah, one of the biggest. And um, his his life and, and now death almost seems like a, a metaphor for the loss of civility that we sometimes see in our society as it relates to uh, political events, um, he was it was an inspiration for so many. I think what's what's really interesting for me is to see 
the number of current leaders in the military and in national security across party lines who felt inspired and mentored by him. Um, and it's hard to find someone who could replace uh, replace him in terms of being able to work across the aisle, across uh, multiple administrations. Um, and so I think it's a big, big loss for the country today. And, and hopefully we'll take, all take some time to reflect upon his legacy. Uh, Matthew, your thoughts? Well, a few things. I mean, the first is uh, Colin Powell's incredible patriotism. He was the son of immigrants. He grew up in the Bronx, uh, a, a black boy amidst uh, you know a racist, uh, segregated uh, society. Um, he uh, rose through the ranks of the military, uh, and throughout it all, he maintained a deep love and pride in belonging uh, to uh, to America and to the American project. And I recommend to anyone who hasn't read it or who hasn't read it recently, his, his memoir, My American Journey, which came out in the early 1990s and was um, partially the cause for some of that speculation that he might run for president in 1996. The other is just his uh, military and diplomatic skill. I mean, we commented that he was the first African-American chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It, he um, was also responsible for the so-called Powell Doctrine, which was the um, a modification of the Weinberger Doctrine during the Reagan years, which is America should only intervene in cases of clear, uh, vital interest to the United States. It should only intervene as a last resort. And when it does intervene, it should do so with overwhelming force. And those are the lessons that he and General Schwarzkopf brought to bear that made the first Iraq War, Operation Desert Storm, such a success. It's interesting to see uh, that some of the lessons of the Powell Doctrine were not necessarily applied to the second Iraq war, especially that uh, that idea of bringing overwhelming force uh, to bear when the when the uh, invasion was launched. Um, and I think Powell regretted that. You, you, and of course, the, his famous quote, uh, as reported by Bob Woodward, when he told Bush uh, with Iraq, you break the pottery barn rule, you break it, you buy it. Yeah. I'll tell one quick story, and that is, uh, you know, I wrote this book about Reagan, Three Days in Moscow, about the final negotiations with Gorbachev. And um, Reagan press secretary Marlon Fitzwater tells the story that at the end of the Moscow summit between Reagan and Gorbachev, just as they're getting ready to make this historic agreement, everything is really on the edge and it all almost blows up. Gorbachev is demanding the inclusion of this paragraph that agreed to a state of peaceful coexistence between the two nations and non-interference in internal affairs. So he's so insistent, Gorbachev is, that Reagan is suspicious. And Colin Powell is then national security advisor sitting next to Reagan. And at that moment at the conference table, he rips off a corner of his notepad and scribbles something on it, pushes it over to Reagan. Reagan reads it and then lays it down, face down on the table. And he pauses a few minutes and he turns to Gorbachev and says, the answer is no. And Gorbachev blows up and they are yelling each other in each other's faces. And the two men stand eye to eye and, and the whole deal is possibly falling apart. And finally, Gorbachev uh, backs down and everybody files out of the room. They have a deal. Fitzwater goes back to the table and picks up the piece of paper Pal had scribbled on and he picked it up and it read, that means you agree to never criticize them again. And, um, you know, he was that kind of trusted source, trusted uh, advisor. Uh, Reagan really valued him in that time. We don't often hear about that time, uh, but I found that little nugget as I was looking around some, some things. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue 
after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I want to turn to now and this uh, Virginia governor's race. Mar, do you have a sense? I mean, the polls are all pretty tight, but Virginia is bluish purple and the advantage still has to go to McAuliffe. Yes, but this is a very hard one to get a strong hunch about. All I can tell you is the Democrats are really nervous. Uh, Yes, they think that Terry McAuliffe should win. I mean, this is a state that Biden won by something like 10 points. The early vote seems like it's coming in heavily Democratic, but no Democrat I've talked to is comfortable at all. And um, the one thing about Glenn Youngkin, he's not Larry Elder. I mean, he is not a kind of Trumpian figure. And he seems to be, uh, despite all of the news reports about how awkward his straddling is, balancing act is, he seems to be kind of pulling it off. He's the basketball dad when he's appealing to suburban uh, Northern Virginia voters, but he also has been uh, showing that he's still with the MAGA base as much as he can. So this is a real hard one. I can tell you that in the past, when Democrats have lost this special election, when Barack Obama lost, you know, during Barack Obama's term, they lost the governor's race in Virginia. That seemed to be a harbinger of losing the House in the next year. But Obama went on to win re-election. So it's not perfectly predictive of everything. But I can tell you, if they do lose this, uh, it will be taken as a real blow to Biden and his agenda. Yeah. Matthew? Well, uh, a couple concerns. The first among Democrats is voter exhaustion. Uh, the last time a Republican won statewide office uh, in Virginia, it was Bob Bob Fajav McDonald for governor in right. 2009. And the turnout between 09, where uh, Virginia went for Obama, and uh, rather 08, when Virginia went for Obama, and 09, when Virginia elected McDonald governor uh, was it, it plummeted turnout just plummeted and that helped um, the Republican because really there's no way for a Republican to win uh, in Virginia if Northern Virginia turns out big uh, and and Northern Virginia is of course a Democratic an indigo deep blue stronghold the other thing is the role of education in this race education has emerged as the sleeper issue Youngkin has seized on a comment. Uh, made during uh, the final debate with McAuliffe, where McAuliffe kind of uh, scoffed at concerns over um, curriculum uh, in the schools and said, I don't think parents should be deciding what teachers ought to teach, what schools ought to teach. This has been playing ad nauseum on the air uh, as uh, in Virginia as a Virginia resident. It's uh, driving me crazy. And yet it's also ex- it's also exposing how important uh, issues of education and parental control are um, uh, to to uh, to the race, and I think that if if Youngkin does pull off a win here, it will be because of McAuliffe's gaffe in that debate, and because the COVID experience, the, the school closures, what we're learning about what uh, is being taught to students, has really, I think, infuriated a lot of parents and perhaps mobilized them as a key swing vote in American politics. Yeah, Morgan, it it would be key for Republicans. It would be a canary in the coal mine of what it may look like in the midterm should Youngkin pull it off. 
It certainly would be. And I, there's two things that I'll add to the conversation that I'm looking at, um, specifically Hispanic turnout in Virginia. Uh, we're starting to see polling around the country that uh, Biden is losing ground politics, especially in places like Texas over the border. They just don't agree with his immigration policy. So I'm looking at that as an indicator of, of how Republicans may be able to, to appeal to Hispanics uh, nationwide in 22. Also really looking um, at the large veteran and military vote in Virginia. Remember, of course, you have Virginia Beach and Norfolk. And um, Afghanistan still lingers very, very heavily amongst uh, members of the military. I think we all have sadly seen a lot of the uh, rates, uh, the suicide rates, you know, just the headlines coming out of the army re recently. Incredibly, incredibly troubling stuff. And I would say that while it may have gone out of the national you know, news headlines, uh, Afghanistan, that is, it's still very, very top of mind for many members of the military who are currently in and veterans. And so we will see. I thought Mara brought up an excellent point about how young Ken is running, um, at trying to keep the MAGA base happy, but also appealing to be the suburban dad. And, and if he wins, if he's able to pull this off, he might be the model for many Republicans and, and tough districts that they're trying to take back in 22. Yeah. Last thing, Mara, um, you know, Senator Mark Warner from Virginia, Democrat, moderate, uh, is really pushing the Biden administration to have a vote on this infrastructure bill straight up and down, minus progressives trying to tie it to the other bill. Um, I think that they think that that could make a difference in, in some place like Virginia. Um, but it doesn't appear like the ducks are lining up on this. Well, that means they would have to get a deal on the bigger bill, the bigger social policy bill in time to vote on both of them, if, unless progressives are going to change their minds before Election Day in Virginia. That's only about a week away, a little over a week away. Terry McAuliffe himself has pretty much begged Democrats in Washington to pass the infrastructure bill. He needs something to campaign on and it would bring Virginia, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Um that's where you see the two wings of the Democratic Party really diverging in their political uh, uh, needs. You've got somebody like Terry McAuliffe who needs the votes of independents and Republicans to win his race. And then you've got all these progressives in Congress who have safe blue districts and they really don't have to worry about the next election. Mm -hmm. And Matthew, I mean, for Bernie Sanders to write an op-ed in a West Virginian paper to try to somehow influence Joe Manchin, um, seems, I don't know, a little tone deaf. He's not going to get, uh, <laughs> yeah. get primary from the left. He's not up for re-election. And you're not going to win in West Virginia with that pitch. Uh, no, you're not. And Manchin is the only Democrat who can win in West Virginia. And so uh, I don't know who gave Bernie the advice to do that. Uh, but whoever did uh, probably should be harshly reprimanded. And it, of course, it, it doesn't make Manchin any more likely to support the three and a half trillion dollar bill. The size of the bill keeps shrinking. Progressives keep getting frustrated. Uh, the, the chances of anything being signed uh, before the election day, and let's not forget Biden's leaving the country at the end of October too, um, are, are, I'd say, zero. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, thank you so much for today. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure you leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Morgan, Mara, and Matthew, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.